In the 17th century, John Bunyan was a preacher of the gospel, and he was forbidden to preach, and he was put in jail. And while he was in jail, you know, he's a pastor, he has a pastor's heart, and he writes an amazing book that becomes the number two bestseller in, on the planet, which is called Pilgrim's Progress. And what Pilgrim's Progress is is an allegory. An allegory is telling a picturesque story that has meaning, significant meaning, and people that know the, the story begin to pick up on it. And what he's talking about is truly how you and I come to faith in Christ, some of the journey, and then also once we become a Christian, how we can actually walk in the Christian life. And it's a beautiful picture of it. And so he starts out by talking about this man whose name is Christian. Isn't that great? Because that's what happens when we come to Christ. We become a Christian. And so he meets a man by the name of Evangelist. Now, an evangelist in the Bible is someone who tells people the good news about Jesus. Isn't that great? And so he meets evangelist, and evangelist actually points him to the narrow way where he assures Christian that if he comes to that gate and to that narrow way, he will have all of his burdens lifted from him. The burden of sin, the intense weight of shame and guilt that he's been carrying on his back. And yet, as he's traveling to the narrow gate, he falls into a slough called despond. And you know, a lot of times people, before they come to Christ, there's a, a tremendous moment in their life where there's despair and hopelessness. And so he finally kind of gets out of that slough and he meets another man called worldly wise. Now worldly wise is really the wisdom of our culture. It's the wisdom of this world. And worldly wise challenges the message of evangelists and tells Christian that he can have his burden lifted if he will go to the village called morality and inquire of a man called legality or his son civility, which will be able to help him remove the burden he's carrying. Now, isn't that interesting that that's what people will say to us? Listen, you don't need to follow Jesus. All you need to do is be a good person. Anybody ever heard that line? You see, that's, that's the worldly wise uh, it, uh, situation, but when Christian now who's trying to find his way to the village and to the house where uh, each of these individuals live, he, he discovers it's a steep hill that he's got to climb to get there. And while he's wondering what to do, here he sees evangelist is coming his way. And when evangelist sees Christian, he says, you know, didn't I just chat with you a while ago about how to find the narrow way? And he said, yes, I'm, I'm the gentleman you were talking to. And he says, well, why did you turn off the path? What are you doing here near this town? And so Christian explains that worldly wise assures him of a better path which has far less difficulty on it. How many know we like less difficulty? That, that appeals to us. But evangelism challenges him to change his mind. That's what repentance is, change his mind and he tells him that what he's doing when he tries to be good enough, he's actually negating or he's minimizing or trivializing the sacrifice that Jesus came by dying on the cross for our sins. And he points out that legality and civility and all of these other you know, uh, situations, morality, he's basically saying... They do not remove the burden of sin. Actually, they add to it. And why they add to it, how many have ever tried this? You're trying to be good enough. You know, you're trying to do all the right things. And how many have ever tried that and you realize how frustrating it is because you and I struggle with a thing called the sin nature. 
And so we end up feeling more guilty because we can't do the right thing. Anybody ever have that experience? The harder I try to be good, the worse it seems to get. So that's why we need a savior. And that's what uh, Evangelist tells him. And actually, uh, Evangelist calls worldly wise or the wisdom of this world foreign to the ways of God. Morality may seem good, but it literally cheats people out of true salvation. And so when we think we're good enough apart from God, we cheat ourselves from a savior. And civility generally leads to hypocrisy. Each of these things are good, but alone apart from saving grace, they fool people into trusting themselves rather than God. And so Evangelist now begins to explain to him the words from the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah says it this way, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, And they've dug their own cisterns, but they're broken, and they cannot hold water. And so all all along, when we're trying, you know, to live a life apart from God, it just doesn't satisfy. It just is not there for us. And so in the book of Revelation in chapter 12, we need to understand what's really happening in our world. And there, it's talking another picture, the great dragon was hurled down that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, and I want you to notice what he's doing on earth today. What's it say? He's leading the whole world astray. In other words, he's deceiving people, and so a lot of people are blinded to the truth. And so I was reading this past week from the book of Daniel. Daniel all of a sudden has a vision. Now people around him, they actually are aware something dynamic is happening, but it's frightening to them. How many know the supernatural and the unknown usually frightens us? And so they run off, and Daniel is left alone beginning to see things that God is revealing to him at that that point in life. And so for the most part, our culture is living in deception and blinded to the realities of what's really transpiring in our world. And so many people today are placing their hope in everything but God. And can I just say this? When we place our hope in anything but God, we're going to be deeply disappointed. We're going to be let down. It's just the nature of it. And so in this wisdom literature that we've been looking at from the book of Proverbs, we realize it's describing this wonderful godly life. And it describes the Christian life as a path or a way in which you and I need to walk or to live. Psalm 1 describes it there because Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm and it describes it as a contrast between the path of wisdom and the path of folly. And we're going to see this throughout the book of Proverbs. Wisdom is simply described by the wisdom literature as the fear of the Lord or simply trusting God. That's what we're called to do. And in Proverbs chapter seven, so we're gonna look at Proverbs chapter, sorry, chapter four, and I want you to open your Bibles there, because we're gonna look at a lot of verses from chapter four, but this is the the key verse. This is the text. This is the, the theme of chapter four. Listen to what it says. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. Now, obviously, wisdom and understanding are synonymous terms here. They're, they're the, basically the same idea. What he's saying is, if there's one thing we're going to have to secure in our lives, is that we have to secure wisdom. Now, let me explain to us, rem- remember what I told you wisdom is. Wisdom is simply trusting God. As a matter of fact, when we look at the New Testament, we find out Jesus is our wisdom. So when we're walking with Jesus and we're following him and we're trusting him, we're actually walking in wisdom and we're securing wisdom for our lives. And that's so important. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 13 says, blessed is the man who finds wisdom. Verse 17 of chapter 3 says, 
way, the way of wisdom, her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. Uh, Earl Palmer says it this way, the word for happy, or we translate blessed, is the word Asher. As a matter of fact, that's one of the sons of Jacob. His name is Asher, means this is making me happy. So Asher in Proverbs means joy or blessedness in finding the right path. If you're surrounded by many confusing ways and you finally find the right way. How many have ever been lost? Anybody been lost? I've been lost. Now, it's not a big thing if you're lost in the city because you figure out, you know, it's not the end of the world. But how many have ever been lost? I mean, really lost. You're out in the woods and now you have no idea where you're at. That has got to be one of the most terrifying experiences. And if you're alone or, or you're with people and you have no idea where you're at, it can be very challenging. And the moment you recognize something and you find the path back to, uh, you know, you, where you can actually get to where you're supposed to go, what a great moment of relief and joy. And so this is the picture that the Proverbs is giving us, that we're discovering the right path to be on. And so the Old Testament idea of happiness has to do with orientation or perspective, the discovery of what is meaningful in the midst of that which is shallow and superficial. And we have a lot of shallow, superficial stuff in our world today. Now, when I, when I mention in the Old Testament, when I think of who personifies wisdom in the Old Testament, usually a person comes to our mind. And that person is King Solomon, right? He's noted for his wisdom. And he's actually one of the authors of the book of Proverbs here. And so Solomon, when he's starting out as a young man and he's giving the responsibility to lead his people, he is absolutely humble. You know why he's humble? Because he recognizes he can't do it apart from God, so he's looking to God to help him. And this is his prayer in 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 8. He said, your servant is here among the people. You have chosen a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to this, govern this great people of yours? So here we have one of the elements to wisdom, which is what? to be able to distinguish between what is right and what is wrong. Now, you know, we have a culture today, they don't even believe anything is wrong. How many know that's kind of where we're going? And yet, I would argue with you, and I want you to think this way, just follow what I'm gonna say. We know that there must be wrong things because some of the things we do have terrible negative consequences. How many know that's true? And so obviously, that's not healthy. And so I equate wrong and healthy as being the same thing. And that's what unholiness means or you know, ungodliness. This path really leads to a lot of problems and pain and uh, it destroys relationships. And so we know that there's a, an incorrect way to go. And yet on the other side, because we know that, there has to be a right path. And God is laying out for us here a path that we can walk on. So Solomon now in chapter four, let's look at verse one. I'm not gonna put it on the PowerPoint. I want you to look at it in your Bibles. He says, listen, my sons, and we could say daughters because it's the instruction of a godly parent. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. First lesson, we gotta listen with the idea that we're gonna learn something. Number two, he says, I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. So what's the temptation? That we're gonna abandon what we've learned. We're gonna to toss it off. We're gonna minimize what we're gaining. We're just gonna neglect it. We can forsake it. We're gonna talk a lot about this in this chapter. He says, when I was a boy in my father's house, still tender and an only child of my mother, he taught me and said, lay hold of my words with all of your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. So now he equates God's word plus obeying God's word, 
the end result is life. So on the other side, if I disregard God's word, I don't do what God says, what's the end product? It's death. It means I'm going to be cut off from God. It means I'm going to be cut off in my relationships. I'm going to suffer because of that. So now we're catching on here how crucial it is for us to do what God's saying. Then he says in verse 5, get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. Now, this idea of forgetting, it's not the idea that we get amnesia. You know, I can't remember. It's the idea that I neglect them. I don't apply them. I don't do them. That's what it means to forget them. I'm not incorporating them into my lives. And then I begin to deviate off the path that God's calling me to walk on. I want you to think about how critical this is. Now, if Solomon is telling us this as a parent, like as a godly parent telling, this is what you should instruct your children, how many realize that this is probably something important that parents need to do for their children? That we need to instruct the children while they're young and impressionable, we teach them the proper values and the right way to live. And we need to instill these things into their hearts while they're tender-hearted and there's a willingness to learn and to listen. And for when a young person, and I, I like this, when a young person grasps these truths from the word of God and these truths take root in their hearts, it's going to guide their lives. How I many think that's amazing that you actually have direction? I see a very aimless culture today. How many say that's true? We see a lot of young people, they're just aimless. They don't know what to do. There's all these options in their mind. They, don't, they can't really figure it out. I'm going, no, listen, let the word of God take root in your heart, and then it starts directing your life. It actually protects and it empowers us for the days ahead. It's going to really have a powerful impact. Harry Ironside wrote these powerful words. He said, the value of parental discipline cannot be overestimated. To be brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord is a blessing beyond our ability to appreciate. You know, we had two young men here this morning, got baptized at 9.30. They grew up in a Christian home. Some of you know the Borsma family, very godly family. All of their kids are walking with God. And you know, I remember years ago, you know, Hans says to me, Pastor, you're the pastor of the church, but I'm the pastor of my family. When we go home, after hearing this sermon, we sit down and talk about it at lunchtime, and we talk about how to put this into practice in our lives. How many think that's probably a wise father? It's no wonder his kids are following in the ways of God. You know, just think about the greatest legacy we can give our children. You know, some people say, well, you know, I, I, I've earned all this money, I've saved it up, and I'm going to pass it on to my kids. Can I tell you, a lot of times money is the detriment to a lot of children. And a lot of times there's a lot of conflict in a lot of these wills in the states. And I, I you know, I, I talk to a lawyer quite re, 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 a lot because he's one of them is the elder in our church and I have breakfast with him. And I don't know how many times we've talked about the difficulty he's had in law cases with family members fighting over the legacy of their family. Can I just encourage us tonight, the greatest legacy you can leave your children is to be a person of faith. That's the greatest legacy you can leave, that you are modeling for them how to live this life. And so when there's a difficulty, they can say, you know what, I remember my mom, I remember my dad, I remember how they got on their knees and they cried out to God, and I watch what God did as our family got through that terrible time in our lives. And you're leaving them the most powerful gift possible, the gift of faith in Almighty God. So be encouraged. If you've been doing that, that's powerful. But let me move on to these three elements 
elements of wisdom supremacy. And the first of all, it's the safety it brings to our lives. Do you realize our security is not found in, in what we see? What you and I see is temporary. Everything you see in this world is temporary with our natural eye. It's all temporary. But what is not temporary is the things we do not see. And so faith is something you don't see. You just see the evidence of it. Love is something you don't see, but you just sense the evidence of it and you can see the expression of it. And the only safe place is really by putting our faith in the one whom we don't see, and that's God himself. And I love what the psalmist says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my delivered. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He's my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So one of the temptations of life is to try to find our sense of security and safety in temporal things or in people. And you know what? It always causes grief in our life. As a matter of fact, the psalmist writes in Psalm 30, when I felt secure, I said I would never be shaken. Oh Lord, when you favored me, you made my mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. And that's the truth. When you and I put our faith in Almighty God, that's a firm foundation in our life. That's more firm than having a million dollars in your bank account. That's more firm than any of the things that you and I might think on the natural level bring stability and security in our life. I'm gonna tell you, faith in God is your greatest security. And we need to understand that. We must maintain our confidence and trust in God in spite of the momentary challenges and difficulties. Look at what verse... Uh, Four, five says, get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. Here David is telling Solomon to secure this wisdom, which is a gift from God. We are to exalt and love wisdom in our lives. You know, actually wisdom is spoken of as a woman to be secured through a bridal price. It's interesting you know, it, there's, there's two women in the book of Proverbs. There's lady wisdom and lady folly. And this, this lady, you know, this wisdom, the reason why she, wisdom is a woman is because of the, the gender of the, of the Hebrew noun for wisdom, which is actually a feminine gender. So all you ladies said, well, we could have told you we're wise, you know. <laughs> but before you get too excited, I, I want you to point out there's also lady folly. So there's a, there's a counter contrasting woman in the text. But I think what he's trying to get across to us is simply this. You know, in some cultures, you have to pay a bridal price to get married. And part of that is to secure security for the bride in this marriage so that if the marriage is terminated, she has something to care for her. She has this bridal price. In other words, it's a very costly thing to get married, to enter into this relationship. And that's what he's getting across to us. When we're embracing wisdom, there's a cost to it. So it's not just a simple prayer, oh God, give me wisdom. No, it's a lifetime of pursuing God so that we learn you know, the ways of Almighty God. And he's warning us not to swerve or stray from that path. To ignore or forget or disobey God's word is actually leaving the path of wisdom. And it means we're no longer trusting God, but are trying to play God. Do you realize that? The moment I stop trusting God, I pretend I'm God. You know, I'm acting as if I know what to do. That's why self-reliance is such a self-defeating strategy in our lives. It's the one sin that negates what God is trying to do in our lives. There are tremendous benefits in walking in the way of wisdom or trusting God because it brings honor. Look at verse eight. Esteem her and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. 
She will set a garland of grace on your head and present you with a crown of splendor. I mean, those are beautiful pictures, you know. But think about, to esteem and embrace actually speaks of intimacy, does it not? Think about that. To esteem, and when you're embracing something, it's speaking of a, a level of intimacy. And we're to walk with God, it means that we'll have an elevated life. How many want to live an elevated life? A life of favor. Anybody for that? It's a high position of rank, power, and authority. And I think often as God's children, we don't recognize our spiritual authority. Do you think that's true? I really do. You know, the Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians, and I love this chapter. And if you're a little, let's say you're a little bit unsure as to who you are as a Christian, I would memorize Ephesians chapter 1 from 3 to 14. Because in that stretch of verses, it'll tell you your identity. It's, it gives you your spiritual DNA. And listen to what he says here. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So what are some of those blessings? Well, number one, we're chosen of God. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever, you know, you're picking teams and, you know, when I was a little kid, we used to play sports and we'd pick teams in the neighborhood or in our small town when I lived in a small town. And when you're little, you know, nobody wants you on your team because you're a liability. Anybody understand that? And I've been there before. And all you're hoping at the end of the group is that you get the, you get the right team. Because you can already tell after a while when they've got eight or nine players on the one side, you're going, that's the side that's going to win. You know, you can almost tell. And you're saying to yourself, I hope they pick me because I want to be on the winning team. And I want to declare to you tonight that when you and I, you know, respond to Christ, what's actually happening is you're responding to God's choosing of you and you're on the winning team. Isn't that a beautiful thing? How many want to be on the winning team, you know? I you know, I you know I love playing and I can handle losing, but I really like winning. Anybody else relate to where I'm at? Okay, some of you got a little competitive fire, you can relate to that. But I want to declare to you tonight as a child of God, you're on the winning team. Yeah. Wow. You know, he chooses us, and then we're forgiven by him. How many here need forgiveness once in a while? I got my hand up. You know, I get in trouble. Anybody else get in trouble besides me? You know, I have to ask Patty to forgive me, or, you know, my kids to forgive me, or my staff to forgive me, or the people in the church to forgive me. You know, it's, it's so easy to mess up. Aren't you glad God's a forgiving God? It says he forgives us, and then he makes us holy. Okay, what does that mean, Pastor? I don't think I have a halo around my head. Well, you may not have a halo, but here's what you need to know about being made holy. Christ is our holiness. And all that means is when someone is holy, it means that you've been set apart for God's purposes. And I want, to know, I want you to know tonight, the moment God chooses you, you're set apart. You're on his team. You're actually a holy person. That's what it means to be a holy one, a saint. You're set apart for God. You belong to him. And we could just keep going down. We become blameless. We are loved. We're adopted. We're redeemed. We're lavished with wisdom and understanding. And God begins to make known the mystery of his will to us. How many think that's an amazing description there in that first chapter of the book of Ephesians? Why do I say all of that? Just to make you understand, these are the benefits of trusting in God. These are the amazing things God wants to impart into our lives. But let me move on here to point number two. And that is, the second element of wisdom supremacy, not only does it bring safety, it brings strength. It, it brings stability into our lives. You know, how many here say, you know, my life hasn't been very stable? Anybody can admit to that? You know, I've been all over the map. You know, when I first became a Christian, my life was not stable. And the first thing that happened was Christ brought stability into my life. 
And then I began to realize that God gives us an ability to stand when people around us are falling. You know, people are falling all the time. Wisdom, or simply trusting in Christ, embracing God's way, uh, one of the provisions is that he protects us. We're not gonna be falling. I like that. Look at verse 11. I guide you in the way of wisdom and lead you along the straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered, and when you run, you will not stumble. How many think it's nice not to fall down? Isn't that true? I mean, it's pretty ice out here. I don't want to fall. I want to walk. I want to stand, right? Well, when you fall down, you know, to stumble means you have a moral misstep. We fall into sin, and the moment that happens, it begins to affect us in a negative way. And the only way out of that is when we humble ourselves. To st- the only way to stand up is through repentance and the renewing work of the Holy Spirit. And you know, godly people have fallen. It's true. They've, they've taken a misstep because they got out of the path of wisdom. And David, who was probably telling this to Solomon, you know, David really messed up. How many know that's true? Read the Bible. And in Psalm 51, he has this amazing profession. He says, you know, uh, renew a right spirit within me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Do you know what I notice? If I take a step off this path of wisdom, the first thing that goes is joy. First thing that disappears is joy in our lives. How many know that when you're walking with Jesus, there's joy? And if you step off the path, you lose the joy. You know, then you lose the peace. You see? And then you're you're walking around grumpy and you're upset with everybody and you start blaming people. Isn't that kind of the nature of human beings? But we lose that joy. What a sad thing. David says, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Renew a right spirit within me. My spirit was wrong, God. Change it. But then as we're walking with God, we notice and this is one thing I put down. It's interesting that life is primarily two, about two elements, building and battling. And I preached this through a series called Nehemiah. And I, I basically said, in entire life, we're engaged in building our lives and the lives of others. We're actually building something up. How many know it's easy to tear things down? It's really a lot more difficult to build things up. It takes more skill. So we're building things up. But in the middle of building, the next thing you know, there's opposition. How many have noticed that in the Christian life, there's a battle that's going on? There's opposition to the building. Every time you want to do the right thing, there's problems. And everybody, anybody here, we say, God, why are you letting this opposition come into my life? You know? Uh, we often question why God allows it. But one reason is that we're, we have to learn to trust God in spite of the opposition. That's lesson number one. Number two, when we go through that opposition, we become stronger and we grow spiritually and we thirdly are able to discern what's right and what's wrong. We, we grow in our discernment as we mature in this journey. Now, I don't know about you, but I think it's fascinating that when we start to do the right things, problems start coming our way. Anybody ever notice that? And here, here's a text of scripture that I think will help us understand it. Here in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse 1, is the story of King Hezekiah. And I notice this. It says, after all that Hezekiah had so faithfully done, after he was just being this faithful king, doing everything right, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. Uh, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. What's going on here, God? I don't understand why everything I'm doing is the right thing and why all of a sudden is all this opposition. Okay, we're kind of funny that way. But I want to point out something. Notice the opposition came as a result of his faithfulness. Everybody see that? It came because he was faithful. 
Rather than wondering why we're having this difficult when we've been faithful, I want to change your whole paradigm of thinking. We should expect it. You see, if you live a godly life, you're going to be persecuted. Okay? Let's just put this in our mind. Okay, if I'm doing the right thing, I have to expect opposition. We go, I don't like that, Pastor. But you know, here's the thing we need to understand. What happens is there's this tremendous opposition. But do you know if you study history, Assyria conquered all those kingdoms around it. But they came up against this little kingdom of Judah, which is where King Hezekiah is ruling. And even he had problems. I mean, he lost about 90% of his land, and a lot of his cities were defeated. And now his capital city is surrounded by all of these Assyrian soldiers. And he's crying out to God, and it looks very bleak, okay? Doesn't look good. But he's praying, and, he, and, and Isaiah's there, and Hezekiah's there, and they're both praying. And you know what Isaiah says? Go tell King Hezekiah, relax. As a matter of fact, the little virgin daughter of Israel is going to be mocking that great empire of Assyria. And you know what happened? One night, God sent one angel down there, and he destroyed the whole army surrounding the city of Jerusalem. 185,000 men died in one night. One angel. One angel did that. You know, in my mind, I'm going, it probably, if we were in the natural, we go, well, they, they got sick and they, it was a plague and everyone died. But you know, God's the one that sent it. One angel went down there and took them all out. So you know, now what happens is the king hears news that there's, in, there's problems in his kingdom. He runs back home and his own sons assassinate him. I mean, the whole Assyrian Empire starts crumbling because one little kingdom knew who God was. And we're walking faithfully before Almighty God. And I want to declare to you tonight that you and I are a terror to the devil and his kingdom because when you and I are faithfully serving God, we're causing havoc in this world of darkness. And that's why there's so much pressure against us. And I want to just say to you, just keep doing the right thing because eventually, as we come up to these experiences like the Red Sea, God says through Moses, stand still and see the salvation of your God. And boom, the waters part. And we have a miracle before us and they walk through on dry ground. And what happens next? The Egyptians decide, hey, we can do that trick too. They go in and God lets the waters come down and they drown. And who gets the credit for this? God does. And you know what happens? God was just preparing the Israelites, not only to be delivered from their adversaries, but they were about to go into the promised land. And you know what happened then? Everybody in the promised land goes, you don't want to mess with the Israelites. Because their God takes you on and bad things happen to you. And that's why, you know, Rahab actually switch sides because she says, we've heard all about you guys. Your God fights for you. She says, hey, when you come to take the city, remember me. I'm helping you two spies. Remember that story? Because she knew God was for the Israelites. She says, I want to be on whose side? I want to be on God's side. And when you're on God's side, you're on what side? The winning side, even though there are problems and oppositions on that side. And that's why we read these words in the New Testament. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Notice it doesn't say be strong in yourself. You can feel as weak as a kitten, but if you're strong in the Lord, look out to the powers of darkness. It says here, put on the whole armor of God so you can take your what? Stand. You're not gonna be falling. You're gonna be standing against the devil's schemes or strategies. Then it says our struggle's not against flesh and blood. 
So all of this opposition, we think it's people. Forget it. It's a spiritual battle. Then he goes on to say this, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes. By the way, will there come a day of evil? When the day of evil comes. It's not if the day of evil comes. It says when the day of evil comes. Listen, we're going to have opposition. You may be able to what? Stand your ground. And after you have done everything, stand. Stand firm then. How many are getting an idea God wants you to stand? You know, we need to learn how to draw the line in the sand and says, this is it, I'm standing. Come on, bring it on. You know, all hell can come against you, but I'm standing right here. But I'm not standing in my own strength. I'm standing in the power of Almighty God. And there's a big difference. Well, let's move on. You know, here we are warned against walking on a different path than the path of wisdom. Verse 14, do not set your foot on the path of of the wicked or walk in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Don't travel on it. Turn from it. Go on your own way. For they cannot sleep until they do evil. They're robbed of slumber till they make someone fall. What's he saying here? He's saying this is the path of the wicked. The wicked eventually get consumed by evil and they can't stop committing evil. That's what he's telling us. Derek Kidner says it this way, the Bible does not hide the fact that one can become as zealous for evil as for good. You know, we're kind of shocked. I can't believe some people. There's serial killers out there. There's rapists out there. What's going on, pastor? The path of evil. Once you get into that path, it begins to consume you. Bruce Walke says it even more powerfully. He says it this way. Graphically, that represents their inner state of mind by representing them as evilholics. They are so addicted to evil that it's become their sedative by night and their food by day. Whereas the uncommitted youth are complacent toward evil, evil has now taken over, triumphed, and destroyed those who did not avoid it. This is a warning. If we engage in sin, sin will destroy us. Sin is no respecter of persons. You do it, there's a consequence to it. That's why he's warning us. Hey, there's two paths. Path of wisdom, righteousness, doing what pleases God, obeying God, trusting God, and the other path. The path that's wicked, evil, it's unlike God, it's a wicked path, and eventually that sin will actually overpower you and overtake you. You know, our culture, we have all kinds of labels for it. We talk about addictions. What do you think that is? It's the path of the wicked. They're addicted. It's very powerful. It's very strong. We need to understand that. Let me move on to the third element of wisdom and its supremacy. One, it brings safety. Two, it brings strength. Three, it brings satisfaction. Do you know wisdom is the key to moral and physical health? Moral and physical health. When we trust God, it guards our hearts from all kinds of things that would diminish our lives and rob us of the good things. Listen to verse 18. The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn. When you first become a Christian, it just seems pretty dark out there. You just came out of darkness. There's a little bit of light. Is this really the right way? But how many have ever seen the sun coming up in the morning? It's early. It's dark. Now it seems the light is coming stronger and stronger. Eventually, it's going to shine ever brighter till the full light of day. How many love it? You know, when you're in the dark, you can fall over things. You can stub your toe on stuff. You know what I'm talking about? You can't see where you're going. 
Most people are walking in darkness, but here we're told the longer you walk with God, the brighter the path becomes. Do you, I want to just declare this to you. I'm, I've been serving Christ for over four decades. Can I tell you it gets better? It just keeps getting better. And I was talking to Dr. Thomas. He's been a Christian for over six decades. And, uh, you know, of course, in their English language, it's just, you know, it's, it's getting gooder. That's, it's getting gooder. <laughs> you know, that's Elizabeth for you. She just says, it's a gooder. It's getting gooder. I'm going, yes, it's getting better. Amen? It's beautiful. It's just wonderful. But the way of the wicked, verse 19, is like deep darkness. They don't know what makes them stumble. My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Don't let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. How many get the idea the word of God is pretty important? Okay, for they are life to those who find them and health to a man's or a woman's whole body. I, I, you know what? Eat the word of God. Meditate on the word of God. Commit yourself to knowing the word of God. You know, spend time studying the word of God. You know, but I'm, I'm so excited. I've been a Christian over four decades. I'm still learning things from the word of God. It's an endless, exhaustless beautiful element. You just can keep learning and growing and I'm just going, I'm amazed at what's there. You know, you never exhaust it. You know, you could maybe exhaust some subjects in life, but you'll never exhaust the Bible because it's the revelation of who God is and it's powerful. Then it says, above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. You know, for us to experience the satisfaction in life, we have to stay walking on the path of wisdom. And we have to realize there's a battle transpiring to defeat our intentions. It's the battle for our hearts. And we're told, like a soldier, we have to guard our hearts. We're responsible for this. You know? And what does the writer mean by when it says the heart? And I like Dr. Walkie, he says it this way. You have to recall that the ancients attributed the body's functions to the heart. Its facial expressions are simply a happy heart makes the face cheerful. The tongue, but the heart of fools blurts out folly. And its other members, a heart that devises wicked schemes. That's out of the heart these things are coming from. That's why the Bible says, believe in your heart and confess with your lips. So what is the heart? Well, the heart, obviously, is more than a physical organ. He's not just talking about human emotion here. He's talking about the essence of our soul, the mind, the will, the emotion. It's all of it. Dr. Longman says... The heart is one's innermost being, its core personality, and we're to guard who we are. We're to guard the essence of who we are. You know, wisdom, is, as I've said, is trusting God is seen simply in obeying his words. Notice the imagery used here in Proverbs 4. We've looked at it. The path of the righteous is illuminated. You and I see things others don't see. You and I understand things others don't understand. You know, you sit down, try to explain it to people, and they just don't get it. You ever had that experience? You just go, they need a revelation, folks. They need the Spirit of God to make this real to them because they're locked into a certain way of looking. And then he's talking about guarding the heart, and it's expressed in a variety of ways. First of all, we have to guard what we say. How many know that's kind of true, you know? You need to watch what you say. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 4.24. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. So you better watch what you say. Do you realize that your mouth is actually affecting your future? So be careful what you're saying, you know? If you want to say, sometimes it's best to say nothing. <laughs> I've discovered that, you know? Just say nothing. If you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything. 
Just let, let, just forget it. Then it says we have to watch what we view. It says in verse 25, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. And then we need to, you know, watch where we go. It says make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. What's he saying? Stay on the path. Don't deviate from the path. Just keep doing what God's telling you to do. Yeah, but sometimes, Pastor, it just seems like nothing's really happening. Hey, listen, it will happen. Just be patient. You know, I'm not going to quote this whole thing, but I like the last line. And I agree with Donald Trier. He says, the scripture accepts a certain version. If you and I are feeding the wrong things in our lives, we're going to expect the wrong things to come out. You know, he says there's an old adage, garbage in, garbage out. Isn't that the truth? So don't feed yourself a bunch of garbage, you know. Feed yourself good things. And we know that that's true from, you know, scriptures like Philippians 4.8. Finally, we're warned against going off the right path. He says, do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. So let's stand tonight as we close the service. And I want to just, you know, challenge us tonight. You know, we were praying this morning and I was so struck with this thought. You know, some of you, I want to just continue to encourage. You're on the right path. Just keep on that path, okay? That's good. This is a word of affirmation. If you're on the path of wisdom, if you're trusting God, you're doing what he wants you to do, be affirmed tonight. You're on the right path, okay? For some of you, you're tempted to go off the path. Don't do it. It's not worth it. It'll only bring heartache. I guarantee you. Never had anybody come into my office and go, you know, Pastor, I've been serving God for 50 years. I've totally regretted all those wonderful decisions I've made. You know, all the good things that have ensued from my life. Of course we don't regret that stuff. You know, I've had people say to me, I've deviated off the path. I've made poor decisions. There's been negative consequences. That I regret, you know. But I want to encourage us tonight. If you're tempted to go off the path. God is speaking to you tonight. He's saying, don't. I would plead with you. I was chatting with a young man and he's walking through a really tough time in his life. And I said to him, this is an hour of complete darkness to your soul. Don't make major decisions when you're struggling and in a dark time. I said, I'm happy to walk beside you. We'll walk together until you come into the light of God's grace. I'm prepared to do that with you. Isn't that true? We should be able to do that with our brothers and sisters. Let's walk through that path together. Because you're going to come out of that on the other side. But maybe you're here tonight and you say, you know, Pastor, I have deviated off this path. I have stopped trusting God. I've taken things into my own hands. I'm making my own decisions. And as I hear the word of the Lord tonight, I realize that's a big mistake. You know, I'm glad God's a forgiving God. He's here tonight inviting you. Come on back to the path. Come on back to the path of wisdom. So with every head bowed tonight, I'm not here to embarrass you. Maybe you're here tonight, you say, you know what? I have to confess, I've been tempted to deviate from the path of wisdom, and that's me tonight. Just raise your hand, I wanna pray with you. Okay, a number of you are raising your hands, that's great. I thank you for your honesty. Yeah, temptation comes, Jesus was tempted. None of us are beyond temptation. I've had moments in my life where I've been deeply tempted. And I've had to make a choice. And it's so beautiful when God comes and says, you know, Paul, I'm warning you. You need to stay on this path. 
And you know, at that moment, it's a little jolting sometimes, but what a great thing to just decide, no, I'm going to keep walking on the path of wisdom. I can look back in hindsight and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you came in a moment of weakness and challenged me to just keep walking on the right path. How important is that? I want to pray for you tonight. But here's the next question. Maybe you're here tonight. You say, you know, Pastor, I've never walked on this path. I don't know God. I've never trusted in Him. You can put your hands down. I don't know Him, and I've never trusted Him. But as you've been describing the path of wisdom, something inside of me says, I want to know God. I want to walk on this beautiful path that you've described of safety and security and satisfaction and strength. I want this for my life. And maybe you're here tonight, and that's you. That's what you'd like. Just raise your hand. I'm going to pray with you as well as praying for the others. Is that you? Just raise your hand. We had people this morning. They said yes. Okay, God bless you. Bless you. Here's what I'm going to tell you. When you leave tonight at the guest reception area, we're going to pray. You go to the guest reception area. We have materials there that we want to give to you because it's going to help you be introduced to God and it'll help you understand the path of wisdom. It's materials to help you begin that journey. Please take advantage of that. Go there, tell them, hey, listen, pray with me right now. We're gonna pray right now. Pray with me right now. Say, Lord, I, wanna, I want you in my life. I wanna trust you. I, I believe that you are the one who died for my sins. That's very powerful, that I can receive forgiveness. This may be new to you, but it's real. There is a path of folly. There is a path of wisdom. Every day I watch people make decisions. I'm praying for us that we will walk in wisdom. Amen? We'll stay trusting God. We'll stay obeying God. Powerful path of wisdom. But I see people making other decisions. Not very wise. They're moving to the path of folly. It's self-destruction over there. So let's pray. Lord, tonight as we've opened our hearts to you, we've heard your word, you're challenging us tonight to walk in the way of wisdom, which simply means that I'm going to trust you and obey you and allow you to define for me what's right and what's wrong. I'm not going to take things into my own hands. I'm not going to decide for myself. No, I want to do my thing rather than your thing because I know that's the path of folly. Leads to evil. It distorts our thinking, distorts our values, distorts our priorities, and it ruins our lives. And so I pray tonight that you will apprehend us, you will arrest us, you will challenge us tonight to continue to walk in the way of wisdom. I pray tonight for those here tonight that said, you know, I want to be on this path. I ask, Father, even right now, as they are praying to you, they will say, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know the God of the Bible. I want to know the God who saves me from my sins. I want to know this good news. I want to find that narrow way, that beautiful way that you've called us to, the way of wisdom that brings happiness and soul satisfaction. We thank you for that, Father, that you're hearing the cry of the human heart tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you leave tonight.